Hey everyone, this is Greg, your host at Campfire Creatures. Today we are at episode 10. Looks like uh, people are listening, so I'll keep going. This is a two-parter, Yeti Apex of Shadows. I really hope you enjoy this. I'd really appreciate it if you could like the show, give it a little thumbs up, download the episode wherever you listen to it, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, it would mean a lot. I'd greatly appreciate it. Let's me know that people are listening and hey, I'll keep going with this. In any case, without further ado, let's get to the show. So sit back, relax, do whatever it is you're doing, and enjoy the show. Chapter 1. The Return The Himalayan mountainside village had weathered many storms, but none like this. This was a blizzard with teeth that bit into flesh and bone. The year was 1920, and the world was changing, though you wouldn't know it. By looking at the E-huddled stone huts, the prayer flags now stiff with ice, the smoke curling up from chimneys as if trying to escape the earth. Ewan Calder's arrival was marked by a solitary line of footprints, soon to be devoured by the ravenous white. He stood at the edge of the village, a foreign specter framed by the snow, his body weary, but eyes alert. Those eyes had seen the mustard gas and the mud of no man's land, had watched friends reduced to crimson smears on blasted earth. Now they sought something lost peace, forgiveness, a respite from memories that clawed at him in the night. The village seemed to hold its breath as he entered, the quiet unsettled by the crunch of his boots. He didn't belong here. His pale skin and the sharp angles of his face marked him as an outsider, as did the Lee Enfield rifle slung across his back, a relic of his soldier days, and a comforting old friend. The village elder, Tenzin, emerged from the largest of the huts. He was a small man, bent from a life bowed before the mountain gods, but his eyes held a force that belied his stature. He studied Calder, as if seeing not just the man, but the shadow that trailed him. You bring the storm with you, Sahib, Tenzin said, his voice rough with the smoke of countless fires. Calder shook his head snow falling from the brim of his hat. I'm running from it, same as you. A man cannot outrun his shadow, Tenzin replied, turning his gaze to the mountain, hidden now by the curtain of snow. Nor can he outrun the darkness of the mountain once it awakes. The mention of the mountain stirred a memory in Calder, a myth his Scottish grandmother had once told him of a dark creature that walked on frozen nights leaving despair in its wake. He had dismissed it as a child's tale, but here, where the earth touched the sky, such tales felt as real as the ice that clung to his beard. Tenzin led Calder to a hut, offering him shelter. Inside, the air was thick with the scent of yak butter and something else, 
a subtle hint of decay that seemed to come from the earth itself. As Calder warmed himself by the fire, Tenzin spoke of the recent troubles, a darkness, he said, had settled over the village. Livestock had been found eviscerated, their entrails spread out like offerings. Shadows moved in the night, and whispers no, not whispers, for they were just memories of a language lost to the storm spoke of a hunger unsated. Calder listened, the soldier in him cataloging the details, the hunter curious despite himself. Something ancient and primal had been stirred by the storm, or perhaps it was the storm itself that had woken something ancient and primal within the men of this village. That night, as Calder lay in a bed too small, wrapped in blankets that smelled of mothballs and thyme, he dreamt of the trenches. But when the ground shook and the air filled with a sound of thunder, it wasn't bombs that came to mind, but the mountain shaking off its slumber, ready to consume them all. Chapter 2 The Maimed Earth Amara's hands, once delicate and steady, trembled as she sorted the dried herbs in her modest hut. Outside, the wind shrieked like a banshee mourning the dead, but the villagers whispered no, not whispered. They spoke in hushed tones laden with dread of worse things than the biting cold. Her love, a sturdy yak herder named Sonam, had vanished three nights prior. He was last seen heading towards the mountain, a silhouette against the twilight, and then he was simply gone, swallowed by the burgeoning night. No trace, no tracks, just the void where a man once stood. The locals had warned Sonam of the mountain's curse, muted utterances of an old terror that coursed down its slopes like an invisible avalanche. But Sonam was a pragmatist. He did not hold truck with such tales. Amara feared his disbelief had led him into the maw of something ancient and malevolent. Calder, still a stranger, but less of a specter now, walked with a measured tread through the village each day, his eyes scanning the horizon, as if he could divine Sonam's fate from the lay of the land. His gaze had a weight to it, and when it fell upon Amara, she felt both exposed and understood. On the morning that followed a particularly vicious storm, Calder came upon her while she gathered ice-bitten juniper berries near the village's edge. His footfalls crunched in the fresh snow, the sound oddly reassuring in the muffled world. The earth is wounded, he said, gesturing towards the open space beyond the village, where the snow lay disturbed, churned up in great swaths, as if by a giant's hand. Amara followed his gaze. It's the mountain, she murmured, her voice laced with fear and resignation. It's waking up. Together they found the yak, a creature that had once been a mighty beast of burden, now rendered into ruin. Its eyes, glazed in death, stared accusingly at the heavens, as if questioning the gods' silence. The snow around it was a canvas of crimson and gore, painted with a savagery that bespoke not of hunger, but of rage. The beast did not eat, Calder noted, his voice devoid of emotion, a detachment honed on the battlefields of a war that had ended, 
but never truly finished. It kills because it can, because it enjoys the act. Amara felt a chill that had nothing to do with the wind. She saw in Calder's eyes a reflection of the same darkness that now seemed to seep from the very bones of the earth. He was a man who had seen too much, who had been hollowed out by the sights and left with a cavernous space within, filled now by the frigid Himalayan air and the mysteries of these cursed peaks. The villagers gathered, their faces drawn, their eyes hollow with a growing realization that they were prey in their own land. Tenzin, the elder, declared that the yak's desecration was important, a sign of the mountain's claim upon their souls. Calder turned from the grisly scene, his mind already racing, strategizing. In the trenches, he had learned that to fight an unseen enemy, you must first understand it, learn its habits, its desires. The mountain, it seemed, was not just a mass of rock and ice, it was a living entity, with desires and appetites of its own. That night, as Amara lay awake, listening to the howl of the wind, she thought of Sonam and wondered if the mountain had consumed him, or if he wandered still, a lost spirit in the land of shadows over snow. She didn't notice the figure of Calder, standing like a sentinel at the village's edge, watching the darkness where the snow met the sky, waiting for the land to reveal its secrets. Chapter 3 A Trail of Crimson The Himalayan dawn broke with a reluctant trickle of light, seeping through the clouds like blood through a bandage. It revealed a landscape draped in an uneasy silence, as if the mountain itself held its breath. Tessering, the youngest of the village's able men, stood on the threshold of adulthood, yearning for meaning in a world that had offered him none. His gaze often followed Calder, the stranger who embodied the allure and mystery of the Western world, a world that felt as distant as the stars above. On this morning, as the sun struggled to assert itself, Tessering found a crimson trail in the snow, stark against the white, an aberration in the pure morning light. It began at the edge of the village, weaving a path of dread into the wilderness beyond. When Calder saw the blood, a silent curse passed his lips. Tessering looked to him, his eyes wide, searching for assurance where there was none to be found. We follow it, Calder said, his voice a low rumble of contained urgency. We find out what beast spills such blood. Together they set out, the village fading behind them becoming nothing more than a memory etched against the frozen waste. The trail was like a wound in the earth, a cut that seemed to never end. It meandered through the stark trees, stripped bare by the cold, and up the slopes, where the snow lay thick and treacherous. Calder moved with a purpose that belied his inner turmoil. The blood-soaked ground spoke to him of battles past, of life's fragility, and the earth's indifference to the suffering of men. Tessering, meanwhile, was fueled by a desperate need to prove himself to the village, to Calder, to the shadow of his father, who had once walked these mountains and never returned. Hours passed, the sun climbed, and the trail of blood and mystery led them to a clearing where the snow was disturbed, trampled by a struggle that had ended in silence. 
and there, half buried in the white, they found what remained of a man or what once had been a man. The corpse was torn asunder, its parts scattered, a grim jigsaw discarded by a capricious child. The face was gone, the identity erased, but the clothes were recognizable, tattered remnants of a villager's attire. Tessering wretched, turning away, the bile in his throat a bitter testament to his naivety. Calder knelt by the remains, his hand steady as he examined the carnage. The violence of it was familiar, akin to the butchery of war. But there was something else, a deliberateness to the dismemberment, a message written in flesh and blood. Tessering composed himself, his youth shattering around him like glass. Why, he asked, his voice a fragile thing. Why would a creature do this? Calder stood, his eyes haunted pools reflecting a war-torn past. Sometimes, he said, his voice bearing the weight of knowledge too heavy to bear, there is no why. Sometimes there is only the act, the need to destroy, to prove that we can, to remind ourselves that we still feel, that we are still gods in our own hell. As they made their way back to the village, the bloodied snow behind them, and a growing horror ahead, Calder's thoughts were a turmoil of strategy and survival. He knew they were no longer facing just a beast. They were facing a darkness that gripped both the mountain and the heart of man, intertwining them in a dance as old as time itself a dance that left only shadows over snow. Chapter 4 Echoes of War The mountain's shadow stretched long as the evening approached, a dark shroud over the snow-blanketed village that trembled not just with cold, but fear. Inside his borrowed room, Calder's hands shook not from the chill, but from the surge of memories that the day's gruesome discovery had unearthed. Calder had known death. He had been its agent and its witness. The trenches of the Great War had been a crucible of horror that burned away the chaff of his humanity, leaving behind a core of scarred steel. In the no-man's land, he had crawled through mud and blood, the air thick with the stench of decay, the sounds of dying men scoring his soul. Now, as he sat with his back against the wall, his rifle within reach, the mountain seemed to press upon him with an almost sentient force. It was as if the peak itself pulsed with the echoes of those long dead soldiers that lingered in the recesses of his mind. <laughs> The night brought no peace, only a series of half-dreams where the battlefield morphed into the frozen wastes, and the enemies wore the faces of the villagers. Each time he jerked awake, he half expected to find himself in a dugout, the roar of artillery in his ears. But it was always the mountain, its silence as oppressive as any cannonade. Calder's eyes would then search the dark finding the dim outline of the village elder Tenzin, who had insisted on sharing his watch. The old man sat huddled in a corner, his prayer wheel silent between his palms, his eyes fixed on the ember glow of the hearth. His presence was both a comfort and a reminder, a reminder that Calder was not alone in his haunted vigil. Tenzin had seen many winters, 
his face a map of grooves carved by the wind and sun, his eyes deep-set pools reflecting a lifetime of loss. He spoke little of his own past, but his silence was as full of stories as any bard's tale. It was during these long nights that Calder's struggle was most acute. He fought against the memories that clamored for his attention, that dragged him back to the blood-soaked fields of Europe. The faces of his fallen comrades would rise in his mind's eye, their gazes accusing, questioning why him. Why had he survived when they lay moldering in foreign soil? With the cold seeping into his bones, Calder would push these thoughts aside, focusing instead on the practicalities of the hunt to come. The beast that stalked the mountain was a different kind of enemy, but it was an enemy nonetheless, and one he could confront one he could fight. And yet, the fear remained a primal, pervasive dread that whispered of a foe that was more than just flesh and blood, that was steeped in the land's ancient and unknowable malice. It was in these moments that Calder realized the mountain was waging its own war, not of nations and ideals, but of existence, of survival, of the stark and brutal assertion of life over death. As the first light of dawn filtered through the small window, it found Calder awake, his body a tableau of exhaustion, his mind a battleground where past and present waged a ceaseless war. But the new day brought with it a resolve that was as sharp as the mountain air. He would face the beast. He would face the mountain. And he would face the echoes of war that resounded in the hollow places of his soul. For in this desolate place, among these people who looked to him with a hope they themselves did not understand, he had found a cause that might just fill the void that war had left within him. Chapter 5 Eyes in the darkness, as the relentless black of night ensconced the Himalayan village, a thick tension clung to the air, as palpable as the mist that rolled down from the peaks above. Calder, wrapped in a worn blanket, sat motionless, his gaze penetrating the darkness that pressed against the flickering circle of light cast by the fire. The first watch was always the worst, a test of endurance as the mind played tricks conjuring phantoms in every shadow. The villagers, huddled in their homes, entrusted their safety to the ex-soldiers' vigilance. Calder felt the weight of this trust, heavy as the rifle across his lap, its metal cold and unyielding. the outsider, chose that uncanny hour to appear from the veil of night, her steps silent, her presence sudden. She was like a wraith, her eyes reflecting the fire's light, a stark contrast to the darkness that clung to her like a second skin. Her story was a patchwork of sorrow and loss, her family taken by the mountain's insatiable hunger, her life a testament to the stark endurance of the human spirit. Calder could feel the texture of her voice, 
not soothing, but abrasive, scraping against his raw nerves as she recounted her tale. Her child, bright-eyed and full of laughter, had wandered too far, lured by the siren call of adventure, or perhaps by something more sinister. Nora had searched, her cries swallowed by the mountain's vast silence, only to find a small, lifeless hand protruding from the snow, the rest of her child claimed by the insatiable appetite of the unseen beast. Sitting beside Calder, she seemed to shrink against the magnitude of the night. Yet her eyes never wavered, never showed a flicker of the fear that surely gripped her. In them, Calder recognized a kindred spirit, someone who had looked into the abyss and seen it gaze hungrily back. As the night dragged on, a sound, foreign and chilling, sliced through the silence a creature's call. A howl that was neither wolf nor wind, but something else, something ancient and filled with a terrible longing. It reverberated through the valley, shaking the very air, leaving behind a silence that was suffocating. Calder and Nora exchanged a look, an unspoken agreement passing between them. They would stand guard over this beleaguered hamlet, facing not only the physical threat that prowled the frigid wilderness, but the psychological specter that loomed over them, as oppressive as the mountain that towered above. The night wore on, an endurance of soul as much as of body, each creak and whisper of the dark, a reminder of their vulnerability, of the fragility of life against the timeless dominion of the mountain. But within the circle of firelight, two humans sat defiant, the warmth between them a small beacon against the encroaching chill. As dawn approached with its pale light, it revealed two figures still vigilant, still waiting. For the night may have its eyes, but so too did those who had seen too much, who had lost too much eyes that now watched the darkness, unblinking and unafraid. To be continued. Thanks for listening to Campfire Creatures. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support and grow our channel, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with Campfire Creatures and get more content, check out campfirecreatures.com. And remember, keep the fire lit.